Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast, where we discuss the people, technology, and finance behind the world's communications networks. I'm Phil Harvey. On this episode, we're talking about Huawei and 5G and trying to get to the bottom of how banning one gives us a leg up in the other. Hi, Phil. I'm feeling ranty today, so I'm just going to shut To help out, I've invited an extremely caffeinated executive editor, Mitch Wagner, onto the podcast to wave his arms around and get a bit shouty and uh, really tell us what's on his mind. Uh, Mitch has been thinking about this stuff a lot, and of course, he's also in the editing cycle where um, dozens and dozens of stories about Huawei and about 5G uh, float across his desk, uh, you know, every week. So he's uh, been reading a lot, been talking to a lot of sources, and he's got uh, uh, tons and tons of opinions on stuff. Um, as we move off of the topic of Huawei briefly, uh, Mitch and I will take a moment to ponder the state of 5G in general. Um, what's going to happen next? And are we really getting what we promised? Um, I don't know about everyone else, but I still have questions. And of course, Mitch Wagner still has a lot of answers to share. So let's find out what those answers are right after this break. So Huawei is the poster child in the U.S.-China trade war. Uh, the Trump administration has blacklisted the company. Chip uh, manufacturers are backing away from dealing with Huawei. And there's even a bill circulating now in the Senate that uh, helps carriers pay for uh, the cost that they would incur to swap out Huawei gear. And that's mainly aimed at rural carriers. But uh, yeah, they are they are in a uh, in a terrible state at the moment. Uh, and uh, joining me to talk about this is light reading editor uh, Mitch Wagner. Hello, Mitch. Hi, Phil. I'm feeling ranty today, so I'm just going <laughs> to Getting ready to do some good old fashioned ranting, and I'm uh, happy to have you on for that. Um, so first of all, let's get right into um, what what worries you about having Huawei as the sort of the central figure in this U.S.-China trade war? Because it's it's so far everything we've seen publicly is baloney. Um, it it doesn't make sense on the face of it. Uh, there has been no public proof presented. The time is is more than past. If the U.S. has a case on this, they need to present it in a in a peer reviewable fashion so that the public can see it and security experts can look at it and say, "Yep, that's what's going on." Um, otherwise. It doesn't make sense that Huawei would, in fact, be spying uh, for, for all sorts of reasons. Or would be enabling spying. Um, yeah. Or yeah. Yeah, be, being a conduit to spying. Yeah, that's the thing is I, I think the, the general distrust is with the Chinese government and somehow um, the U.S. Uh, has done a, a masterful job of presenting to the public that the Chinese government and Huawei, the company, are one and the same. Yeah, and, and whether that is true or not doesn't matter. You don't have to assume good attentions by the Chinese government to assume this is nonsense. You just have to assume that they're rational actors, which they have shown themselves to be. Yeah. Um, in other words, yeah, they, they probably do spy on the U.S. Everybody spies on, all governments spy on everyone. 
Um, <laughs> right. It, it does not make sense. However, from a from a selfish perspective, from the perspective of the Chinese government, it does not make sense for them to be meddling with Huawei hardware because they risk the repercussions that they ironically got anyway, i.e. people won't trust Huawei hardware. Right. Um, and B, there's plenty of other opportunities to spy. Yeah, yeah, that's um, that that is the interesting thing is that you know, we this whole the, the, both the good and the bad thing about being in an instantly connected, uh, always on global economy, you know, first of all, the great thing is you can sell products to people you otherwise would never meet and, you know, distribute them at this, you know, at the click mm -hmm. of a mouse. Um, the downside to that is, yeah, you do open yourself up to a lot more, uh, cyber, uh, cyber privacy and security threats than ever mm -hmm. before. And yeah, there's a, you know, proportionally, there's a lot of uh, hacking and phishing attempts that come by way of China. Mm -hmm. um, I've yet to see anything that says that that's anything more than the fact that proportionally there are just more people and more computers in China. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a bigger place with more going on. So therefore they have more good things and more bad things, uh, you know, yeah. by, by, by the law of averages, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that China is, is a bunch of angels. I'm just saying that <laughs> they're, they're smart. They're smart over there and they're not going to. I think the way uh, the, the term rational actor is a good one. Yeah, it's, it's, I think it's a term from diplomacy. It's the idea that if you're, if you're, if you're, if you're negotiating with a Joseph Stalin, and I'm not comparing China <laughs> to Joseph Stalin, I'm just saying that even if you're negotiating with someone who's supremely evil, as long as they're supremely evil in a rational way, right? Then you can deal with them. Yeah, um, it's a, it's a, it's the bad boss theory. It's, it's like a, a, you know, I've, I've worked for some sort of. Uh, uh, some bad bosses over the years, but, um, a, a few of them I didn't like because I never knew where they stood on things, but the ones that I did like, I could see them coming from a mile away. And yeah, that was always, yeah. you know, a, a weird, weirdly a sense of comfort. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it doesn't matter in the end, whether the Chinese government is good or whether the Chinese government is evil, which I think they are both like all governments. Yeah. Um, it just matters that they do what's smart in their own interests. So this all comes back um, to the idea of 5G dominance, because that's the, the, the recurring um, uh, theme in all of this is, okay, we have to have this, uh, or, or at least one of the excuses of having a tra trade war with China is that, um, you know, if we don't slow Huawei down, we're not going to have uh, we're not going to have 5G dominance in the world. We're not going to set ourselves up for the economic success that 5G will bring us. Um, so I guess, you know, it, it, does having a U.S.-China trade war help the U.S. achieve 5G dominance, in your opinion? Actually, let me back up a second and finish one thought, which is that if the U.S. does have evidence that I am full of baloney and that Huawei is, in fact, doing what it is accused of doing, they need to present it to the public. Um, yeah. Yeah, because, I, I, that yeah. would be nice. Yeah. Um, anyway, to, to your second question, which was what? Because I'm so ranty. I've... <laughs> <laughs> you were ranting so hard you didn't even hear me. Yeah. Um, does does the does does 
isolating Huawei, you know, get, getting, getting their products out of our supply chain and out of our, out of our line of sight economically. Um, how does that help? Does that help the U S uh, get a leg up and gain dominance in 5g? Um, no. Um, yeah, I don't think so either. Because <laughs> Huawei, Huawei makes good equipment and depriving our telcos of that equipment, therefore hurts our telcos ability to compete on the global stage. Um, moreover, some people even say Chinese, the Huawei makes the best 5G equipment, which in fact would make that case worse. Yeah, that's the interesting thing. I mean, they've already um, n- not necessarily in 5g but they've already demonstrated in devices that um they are a couple of generations ahead in terms of yeah. uh, cameras and things of that sort and it's sort of how how they process you know computational photography and that sort of thing so um uh, you know yeah they, they've shown technical leadership in some areas and it's reasonable to assume that that could logically extend to different parts of the 5g network and if it does yeah, then you know, locking out the best tech, the best technology uh, available for money, is yeah. <laughs> is is not not the way to achieve five G dominance. Or even or even reducing competitiveness. Well, let's assume that Huawei is it just kind of has parity with the West. That right. they're not light years better, but they're not light years worse either. In that case, reducing competitiveness in an already uncompetitive market is not going to help. So you, what we're going to have, like, uh, we, we have two, we have two major vendors instead of three. So right. Yeah. Go us. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It does sort of, um, uh, it, it the, the competition and the sort of the, the technical dominance angle doesn't really hold up in, in any way that you look at it. And then the other weird thing that it does, you know, as we're seeing in the stock market is that it, it, it puts a fright in, you know, tech investment generally, um, I think, and this came from Huawei, but this is what their, their, uh, spokesperson told the U S uh, or the, uh, the New York times was that, you know, Huawei in the U S, um, spent $11 billion on components and other supplies, you know, yeah. for, for their telecom equipment front, you know, so that's $11 billion they won't be spending with American companies. That's, you know, that's way more than ripping out just a couple of routers here and there or a couple of radios here and there. That's a, yeah. that's a big annual, um, you know, amount of revenue that suddenly disappears. Absolutely. Yes. That's a, that's not, that's not a, um, uh, you know, the, the, I guess the real, yeah, that's a, it's a real, uh, kick in the teeth of the economy. I, I would assume, uh, I don't know that the, you know, because it's not like, there's a U.S. manufacturer that can simply just go in and do exactly what Huawei did with no help from China. I mean, that's right. where this gets sticky. Is that all the uh, all the other foreign countries that are manufacturing telecom gear, you know, use uh, Chinese manufacturing circuit boards and things of that sort in, well, in very and to, you know, and, and to paraphrase what you said, all the other countries in the world that are Finland. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's a it's going to be a weird one. I I, I do I, I I guess I'm just you know uh, as a as a, as any good media member would be. I'm just uh, rubbing my hands together and waiting to see what happens next because oh, I, yeah, yeah. I, I can't possibly predict it at this point. It's gone way farther than my imagination would have taken it a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, 
especially on the eve of 5G becoming a reality yes. to throw a wrench in the in the mm-hmm. in the works like this is is kind of interesting. Um, so let's talk about 5G, the reality. Um, to, hey, I'm Segway Man. I'm a new superhero. I can go from mm. one topic to the other. Look at that. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, the What do you think, now that 5G networks are actually live, what do you think is the first real benefit that we're going to see from, from 5G networks? Well, do you, do you want to hear my real answer? Or do you want to hear my sarcastic answer? Well, you're you're in a ranty mood, so I want I want the sarcastic answer. It's going to be a gold mine for advertising copywriters and people making stupid puppets and commercials <laughs> and, and, and dumb people buying phones that they don't need. Oh, that's and, awesome. Um, that's so ranty. The, the, re- the real answer is that the first applications are going to be probably in industrial and commercial space rather mm-hmm. than consumer space. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's basically going to be, um, you know, instrument all the things. Every, every machine in a factory floor, every component of an airplane, um, every little bit and bobble in a retail outlet um, will all be instrumented and, and you'll be able to uh, get a lot more information out of it and make more intelligent planning decisions if you're that business and um, make repairs in a more prompt and, and less expensive fashion. So all this stuff will become rely- more reliable. Yeah. Um, yeah. Products will become less expensive. Um and that is many, many good things. Um, as far as 5G phones go, um, eh, don't rush out to buy one unless my consumer friends don't rush out and buy one unless you really, really want to have that 5G logo. Uh, yeah, that that's a that's a sound advice for sure. Because I, I I think buying a phone for the for for the one percent of the time that you're likely to cross into a 5g territory over the next couple of years is yeah. uh is well i say cross into and actually be able to use mm-hmm. uh you know the 5g network is is going to be uh a, a kind of a waste of money at the moment but uh you know the benefits you described earlier are kind of these um slow creeping improvements in general quality of life that i think is going to be um really cool to those of us who cover the industry, but kind of sleepy and boring to the consumers that are maybe wanting their minds to be blown. Yeah. I mean, you don't, you don't, your, your mind is not blown by the fact that your, um, your refrigerator breaks down less often. You're, <laughs> you're just not annoyed by your refrigerator. Yeah. Whenever I think of, by the way, whenever I think of home IOT, I think of the time my wife and I went out of town for a week and our refrigerator broke down on the first day. Oh yeah. So when I, when we came home, it was like, wow, this house smells really come back to some delicious, uh, uh, rotting crude and stuff. So I can imagine if the, if the refrigerator had been able to like phone, uh, metaphorically phone the factory a week ahead of time and say, a part is failing, send out a man to fix it. I know it could have, could have ordered itself a new fridge. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, the the Uber of refrigerators would have shown up yeah. at your door, <laughs> and then the refrigerator would have put its refrigerator children's pictures on itself. Excuse me, my mind has just been blown. Yeah, yeah, now my mind's blown. Yeah, I could just yeah. the the refrigerator selfie account just uh, just just melted me down. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think one thing is interesting. I always come back um, to another in my mind. I, I go backwards to another networking breakthrough, uh, which was the emergence of home broadband. Um, 
Oh, right. That is sort of always on versus dialing in and, and turning mm-hmm. on. Yeah, well, it was, yeah, it was two different things going on. First of all, you, you started to be able to do things easily with, it was instantly apparent that you would be able to do things easily with home broadband that you could only do with difficulty before. Right. Um, like watch video. Um, previously, previously you could get a one, you know, like a posted square size video that would take 45 minutes to download a minute. And now you're just, hey, let's just watch streaming. Um, and the other thing was not apparent until you got it, which was the always on connection. Um, right. You didn't have to dial out. You just went into your home office or wherever the PC was and, and you got it. Um, I, I don't see anything now that people are doing now with difficulty that they will be able to do easier if the network connection were only better. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think it might be that always on um, capability, but supercharged a bit. So it's like, you know, now the the persistent connection downstream and upstream will be a lot more, uh, a lot quicker and a lot with a lot more throughput, but that doesn't necessarily mean that anything you're doing, at least at first is going to be that different. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I live in a universe where I can pretty much always count on an internet connection. You know, I'm home or I go to visit an office or I'm on a plane or whatever. Um, right. I, I do have a friend who works in an industry where he, he can't, um, he's always going to remote locations and he just never uses cloud services for that reason. Hmm because he knows he can't rely on the connection. So maybe he might yeah. be able to rely on it at that point. Um, Imagine having to download your albums instead of listen to them on on demand. How primitive. How primitive. Yeah, like that's a right. Yeah. Well, so are there any applications, uh, you know, consumers should be expecting in a few years? Like, um, you know, not the, not the remote surgery stuff that we've kicked to death, but um, can you think of anything practical that you're actually kind of maybe looking forward to that might... Uh, uh, that might be cool that that 5g will definitely either enable or possibly you know help along well funny you should mention that um <laughs> our colleague uh, jeff baumgartner i'm checking to see if the story's up now it's not a secret story um yes oh, um, it will be by the time they hear this i'm sure yeah headline is cable gets behind emerging holodeck tech yeah um now, I have to admit that when I first saw that headline, I just sort of wanted to pound my head on my desk because I was thinking, oh, not another way to entertain ourselves. Because It's a little sci-fi, but it's kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. So it's this idea that you can have these three-dimensional images. Um, and so instead of your TV being 2D, it would be 3D. Um, yeah. And what really began to intrigue me was he even references it at the end, the, uh, the Princess Leia thing, help me, Luke Skywalker, you're my only hope. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I began to think in terms of conferencing, um, just the ability, instead of having a phone call or even a Skype call, um, to have a, a three-dimensional figure of the person you're talking to just there. Um, so if you live a thousand miles away from your, 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 your father, you can nonetheless go for a walk with your father, just like a regular person. I think that we, that, that kind of thing maybe sounds mundane, but it, to me, that just seems incredibly valuable. Yeah, I, I think the um, the uh, that that's one of those things. Until you try it, it's really easy to to knock uh, a service like that, and it would require someone whole. I mean, we've seen little holographic demonstrations at trade shows, and yeah. just inside of a trade show, it requires some heroic amount of up and down bandwidth to be always on. So we're talking yeah. somewhere, you know, in the neighborhood of two hundred to four hundred gig, you know, or something crazy, but. Um, but it's, it's quite compelling when you see it, it's, it's, you know, 
having a, an emotional conversation with somebody uh, when you're sitting across from them is so much different than when you're just, uh, you know, when it's audio only. So yeah, I, I, I agree. That's definitely going to be a, um, a, a rather amazing breakthrough, uh, when we can get something, um, you know, more, more like a 3d hologram Skype or something like that. Yeah. Well, just Skype that you're walking around, um, where, where the image is just projected. Um, yeah. And that's where the, the AR stuff comes in as well, because yeah. I think there's also some, some, augmented reality stuff that, that, that could also be, you know, not, not just very practical, but also very, uh, very fun and interesting um, at the same time. Um, I'm also just sort of a big fan of things getting just, you know, getting better in the background. So like if, if all the latency stuff really is improving in, in cellular networks, then, you know, mapping applications and things that we use every day, like GPS and stuff like that, the the lag time and the the ability the tracking ability of that stuff should get really really good to the point that we don't even think about how good it really is yeah um, and even though that's <laughs> again kind of mundane but you know when you're walking around New York City or somewhere and you know it maps you down to a city block that's kind of amazing to me still oh yeah and, yeah you know to improve that would even be would 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 be all all the you know all the better because it uh, it just makes every part of your life better you know for whatever you end up doing or if it knows exactly where you are while you're walking um, yeah that's even better in downtown where there are skyscrapers I just need my phone to tell me I'm never too far from a cup of coffee, Good coffee. <laughs> or a cold beer in this case and or uh, I th- both doesn't really work. No, not at the same time, but you know what? I think I might be going for that cold beer. Uh, Mitch, I appreciate your ranting, and uh, thank you for taking a bit of time to uh, rant on the podcast. All right. Thank you for having my ranty self. Well, that is it. That's all we've got. That's our show. This podcast is mixed and edited by Tian Fu, senior producer. He's part of our fantastic New York-based Light Reading video team. You can reach us by emailing editors at lightreading.com or follow Light Reading on Twitter at light underscore reading. For all the articles and research we talked about on the show, please visit lightreading.com and search podcast. The latest article will pop up there. We put all of our show notes in the blog post associated with each episode. The podcast is available on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Spotify. Please leave us a review on iTunes so I can finally convince my mother that she's not the only one listening. We'll be back with another episode real soon. You there with the headphones, thanks so much for listening. Bye.